The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. I think everybody really focused on what's happening in Parliament today. Andre Dureta, the former ESCOM CEO, is busy testifying before Parliament's Standing Committee on Public Accounts, otherwise known as SCOPA. And he's made a 13-page submission. He's giving testimony from an undisclosed location. Uh, and all of this really emanating from the interview that he did with Annika Larson on ETV and ENCA. And There is a demand for answers here, a demand for names to be named. Uh, In the written submission, Dureta said that four coal cartels were operating in Mpumalanga while he was at ESCOM. He said he met with the National Police Commissioner Fani Masibola in June last year to request the corruption be investigated. He said he also reported this to the Public Enterprises Minister and to the National Security Advisor. He is being pushed on this issue of whether or not he can name the individuals responsible. He says he cannot at this point he won't go there i'm going to play you two bits of audio just to give you a, a flavor of what's been happening so firstly have a listen to director saying that he cannot name the senior politicians he says are involved because there is a police investigation ongoing and he doesn't want to jeopardize it the best way forward i would suggest is to um uh, ask minister Woodon and uh dr mufamadi because they uh, were informed uh, they they are aware. Uh, as you know, uh, I am not uh, in a position where I have um, immunity and I therefore uh, am unable to make any statement that could potentially um, put me at risk um, of uh, any legal action, uh, whether it be civil or criminal, because of the fact that uh, there is already a um, highly litigious environment that has arisen around uh, ESCOM and um, my tenure as chief executive at ESCOM. And uh, I would be very loath to expose myself to any further legal action, uh, particularly in a public forum such as this hearing. So respectfully, uh, I think to to answer those questions, it is uh, more appropriate to direct those to uh, the individuals that I have already mentioned by name. So that's Andre Dureta explaining why he won't name the names here because there is an ongoing investigation. Uh, he also spoke about the overreach at ESCOM. He spoke about how there has been some police action relating to, corru- uh, to corruption at ESCOM. Uh, there were recent arrests in Mpumalanga as well. But he has faced quite a bit of pushback from various members of SCOPA. And the SCOPA chairperson, Mkuleko Hlengwa, has said to Dureta that he has to name the names so that he can help the country. Have a listen. Um, I think you have been at pains to explain your reasons. We will look at it in terms of why you won't disclose a name. But I, I think it's helpful. Is there a minister involved? I think that's where Honorable Van Minen is driving at. And you say you, the, you, the shareholder representative, Minister Godan, would have been made aware about June or July. I just think that that is helpful. It's not helpful just to us. It's helpful to the president, to cabinet, to the country. 
if you are saying is a minister. I think uh, I don't think that compromises anything. In fact, it enriches. I would imagine is why you would have had the interview and subsequently this engagement. That is the Scopa chairperson, Kuleko Hlengwa, asking Dureta why he won't name names. Of course, all of this needs to be viewed in the context of uh, a News24 report today, various reports out of News24 today. And we will speak to Jacques Poe in a little while about the intelligence reports used by Andre Dureta, uh, an off-the-books investigation for the ESCOM boss conducted by an apartheid-era spy and funded by big business. We'll speak about that in a little while. But first, Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter who was uh, in that scope of hearing, listening to what's been happening. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, give us a, a, a sense of, firstly, what is Andre Dureta saying? What, what are some of the allegations or, or claims that he's making? Well, good afternoon, Mandy. I mean, if you thought that he was, you know, going to drop more bombshells and, and, and explain more from what we've already heard from that interview with ETB and ENCA in February, then you were going to be sorely mistaken, uh, as you've um, mostly pointed out. He is uh, hiding behind um, repercussions, he says, that could come from naming names of legal action. We know that the ANC has previously uh, threatened to um, take into court uh, uh, based on these allegations that he's made. And so it's repeatedly uh, what he is saying to a barrage of questions uh, and every different direction that the various MPs are trying to approach to getting uh, to name names. Uh, essentially, he's saying he shared all of this with Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon and the National Security Advisor Sidney Mufamadi. And so uh, if this committee is wanting to get further details, they should rather look um, to the minister uh, to provide those details because he fears the legal repercussions uh, of naming anybody in this particular forum. Sorry, let me try and put this in context, right? So there was this News 24 report today. We're going to speak to Jacques Poe, um, which is all about where the evidence comes from and the fact that there was this off-the-books investigation uh, for the ESCOM, uh, former ESCOM boss. Um, was Andre Dureta asked about this at all today? Does he seem confident in the intel that he has that he's basing his claims on? Well, in the last, I would say, last 15 minutes or so, Mandy, I should just incidentally point out to our listeners what's happening right this minute. I'm outside of the room, but I suspect this meeting has been adjourned for the day under Dureta shortly before I came out here to speak to you um, had said that he had allocated the three hours that he had for the day. He has an appointment. He cannot get out of it. So you can imagine MPs a little bit frustrated, and they were reaching that point um, with the, the ANC's um, um, Mr. Um, Somio was getting to the point about this intelligence report and the only thing we got under, out of under Dureta uh, before this adjournment was that it should rather be left to those who funded that particular investigation to share whether they um, wanted to be known or not um, and, but he also wouldn't disclose whether any board member uh, was perhaps uh, involved in what uh, has come out of that intelligence report. So unfortunately, that has not been uh, probed to the extent that we might have expected it to. Uh, as I said, Andrew Dureta, um asking for um, uh, uh, proceedings to stand down for the moment. 
Lindsay, I can confirm indeed uh, on the TV screens that it looks like it has indeed been adjourned. So thank you very much. Uh, Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter. She's been following uh, this uh, evidence, the testimony uh, of Andre Dureta today. He has stopped short of naming names. He has said a lot of other stuff, though. He has speaked, spoken about overreach at ESCOM. He has spoken about what he knows about corruption. Um, and, and I think all of that very valuable. But you can see from the MPs that they want answers. Well, let's get more analysis on this now with Rudy Heinecke, who's the Portfolio Manager for State Capture at Alta. Rudy, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, Andre Dureta has been speaking about just how, how deeply entrenched corruption is, how there are cartels that are targeting the parastatal. There is an expectation that he needs to, to come out and, and give us names. Um, he does have a fiduciary duty to have reported this, which he says he has done. Um, but it is also a fine line for him to walk here today, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, you know, he's in a very difficult position. Uh, like you mentioned before, uh, if you don't watch too much, uh, some of the investigations can be compromised. Uh, obviously, the portfolio committee, as well as uh, I think the whole of South Africa, wants, you know, to hear who are the names that, they, that he's mentioned before or referred to before. Uh, so, yes, it is unfortunately, you know, a very fine line. Uh, I must add that, um, you know, most of what Mr. Director said today, I think, was already in the public domain. Uh, there's no, um, uh, you know, earth-moving info- information that we get today. Um, but it is, uh, uh, um, you know, his intention to come and appear before Stopa was, uh, you know, I think a good one. Uh, we do know that uh, he's spoken out about corruption. As you say, there's no major bombshells today. I don't think we were really anticipating any, any major bombshells. Um, it does cast into light, though, the ongoing investigations and the accountability uh, and the fact that corruption does remain um, very much entrenched at, at ESCOM. And we know this from state capture as well. Yes, uh, I, don't, I think that, you know, um, we, we, we realized uh, the effect of state capture, and we also know that state capture hasn't ended when the Zondo Commission started. Uh, it's, a, it's a live process. It's, it's alive and well, and it's going on. Corruption is not uh, in any way dying down. Um, but I do believe that, you know, uh, there, is a, there was a minister of electricity appointed, uh, by the president, um, we are still not sure what his powers and how far is his reach. But I do believe that one of the things that he should tackle is uh, exactly this: you know, the corruption in 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 the state-owned entity that is, uh, you know, feeding the whole country with energy, uh, or not uh, at some times. But the thing is, you know, that should be part of his job, uh, and not only his job, but also. Uh, the uh, 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 law enforcement agencies that Mr. De Reiter talked about where uh, all these uh, uh, information and uh, intelligence was, uh, you know, where it was reported, mm. they should come to the party as well and do their bit to, uh, to investigate. Rudy, thank you. Rudy Heinecke is the Portfolio Manager for State Capture at Alta, responding there to the testimony by Andre De Reiter before Scopa today. The Midday Report. So as I mentioned, all of this and Andre Dureta's testimony viewed against the backdrop and within the context of a News24 investigation published today, which reveals that an intelligence report used by Andre Dureta to slam the government contained 
no facts. The off-the-books investigation for the former ESCOM boss conducted by an apartheid-era spy. It was funded by big business. We know business leadership South Africa put big money behind this. And the lead investigator is a man by the name of Tony Oersteisen, who claims that he killed 20 anti-apartheid activists. And uh, fundamentally, what this shows is that the information that Andre Dreiter has ostensibly been using here is uh, doesn't stand up, that there is no no factual basis to it. So the author of that report today, Jacques Poe, joining us now. Jacques, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you chatting to us today. Uh, in, in summary, and it's quite a, quite a lengthy article that you have published today, but what did you find about this investigation that was run by the former National Commissioner George Fivers' outfit? Well, I, I, I came, in, came in into possession of all the research reports by George Fivers Forensic and Risk. That's the company carrying out the investigation. I got hold of all the, all the research reports a while ago. I started going, going through them, and I realized that there's no substance here. There is absolutely no evidence. For example... In the last, in the last, um, in the last report produced at the end of February 2023, um, the investigation says that there is evidence that Gwedi Mantashe and David Mabuza, um, or one of the two were, were complicit in the, in the alleged poisoning of Andre de Reiter. You know, so they, they basically accuse these two, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you like them or not. They accuse these two of attempted murder. When I spoke to George Fivers this week, I said to him, Mr. Fivers, do you have any evidence to, 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 um, to implicate either Montage or, or David Mabuza or the two together in the poisoning of Andre de Reiter? He said no. There was sort of a, a suggest, suggestion by a source that they might have been involved. Well, they put it in the report as though it's a fact. Now, I then, I then started investigating further, and I, I discovered that at the end of 2021, Andre de Reiter went to business leadership South Africa. He spoke to the, the CEO, Busisiwe Mabuso, and he persuaded her that, that big business must invest in an investigation mm. to, uh, to investigate or to unearth fraud and corruption at ESCOM, the writer, the writer then went to George Fivers Forensic and Risk, and he asked them for a proposal. George Fivers went to went to the went to the to the BLSA board, and he said to them in his proposal, which I also have, that Russia is behind the destruction and sabotage right. of ESCOM. So it was pure sort of fear-mongering. It was old-style apartheid, Rui Gefaar, and whatever. And that is how they got the investigation. Millions upon millions have been spent on this investigation, and it's absolutely worth it. And then interstage left, you mentioned uh, apartheid-era tactics. A 69-year-old former apartheid uh, operative, uh, uh, who is uh, by the name of Tony Oersteisen, who apparently ran this investigation. Tell us about him. Yes, so 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 I met I met Tony Gustafson twice in Pretoria about about three weeks ago. I met him twice, and I was astonished by the language he was using. 
Um, he was he was telling me um, that he came from the Directorate of COVID Collection, which during the apartheid years, during the total onslaught era, it was a secret, dirty tricks unit of military intelligence. They were involved in assassinations. They were involved in fomenting so-called black-on-black violence during the early 90s. They armed and they trained in Qatar, etc., etc. He was freely talking about it. He was using the K-word. He was talking about black people as barbarians without brains and whatever. Um, I also, I also then found that that he was implicated by Eugene de Kock, the former Flakplas uh, death squad commander, that he was implicated by the the Kock at the Truth Commission. In uh, in the assassination of four people in Botswana, including two deaf nice. children. Um, so this is hardly the kind of man that should have free access to the highest echelons at ESCOM. He's a man that that frequently meets with with Andre de Reiter and Jan Oberholz, the outgoing COO. Um, you know, Tony Wistazen doesn't have the, the moral authority to conduct an investigation like this. I confronted George Fivers with it. He said, no, it was a, it was a mistake to appoint Tony Wistazen. He shouldn't have been the, shouldn't have been the leading investigator. As George Fivers said, we're mm. not all, we're not, we're not all perfect. So this investigation is fatally, fatally flawed. Yet it's from the intelligence annals of, of the George Fivers reports. That Andre de Reuter, for example, spoke about the, the four criminal cartels in Pumalanga, um, you know, which is, which is linked to a death squad of between 60 and 70 heavily armed people. You know, George Fivers and Associates have linked right. Gwedi Mantashe and David Mabuza directly to this, to this heat squad. So that's where a lot of the information that Andre de Reuter flaunted in his ENCA interview. That's where a lot of the information comes from. And if you be wrong, there is no evidence. It's just information. Jacques, I do have to ask you, because this is an issue that, that has come up that people have asked me and that I've seen on social media as well around the timing. Um, is it pure coincidence that it's on the very day that Andre de Reuter appears before Scoper that this article uh, is published? Or is that, did you feel a, a compulsion that people needed to know about this before Andre de Reuter testified? Well, I think it is important that people know about this before he testified, but there's, there's also a practical reason, is I only had got everything together by, 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 early, by early last week. I had everything together and I had enough information and I then approached Adrian Bassan, who's the editor of News24, and I said to him, we have to do a story about this. We had meetings, we discussed, I showed him some of, some of my evidence. Um, the earliest we could get the story out was today because I had to give, I had to give people like the writer and fivers and whistlers and people, I had to give them 48 hours to respond. And I could only get the questions out to them, uh, first thing on Monday morning. So there's, there's number one, there were practical considerations about getting the story out. The soonest we could get it out was today. But I also think it is important for people to know this before, before the writer testifies. Jacques, thank you very much. Jacques Poe, uh, News24 investigative journalist. Uh, he's published this report today um, and also published today on News24, I think, uh, a very important editorial as well, um, which accompanies this, which does remind us about the fact that this may be a dirty dossier, but it does not mean that corruption is is not rampant 
at ESCOM. We know that corruption is rampant at ESCOM, but the fact that this is a dirty dossier does not help Andre Dereta at all. On 702 and Cape Talk, this is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. Specialists who enable your business growth aspirations. Hi, Mandy. Actually, you know what? This Andre Dereta story, I mean... About Jack Paul, you know, in South Africa, I mean, I don't even know who to trust these days now. I mean, I corner this country. There's a lot, lot happening in this country. I don't know who to trust anymore. I mean, look, BLSA is such a respectable organization with such huge number of uh, respectable CEOs. But something like this happens. Now you ask yourself who to trust now. I mean, huge banks. I mean, I, Great CEOs of huge banks, huge companies. I mean, what is going on in this country? I call them. Good day, uh, Mandy. No, my name Peter. I think uh, this uh, report by uh, George Fivers uh, really must be uh, not been taken seriously because uh, the investigations that his companies alleged to have done, it's quite clear that... Uh, uh, Andre the writer wanted to throw certain political uh, figures under the bus, especially those within the ANC, and create an impression that there's corruption. But the worst part is for the writer to use uh, uh, right-wing forces like John Fibers to do uh, investigations on behalf of uh, himself and Esco. Good evening, I'm a bit confused by those who are saying Andre the writer should have reported the case to the police including the president, the same president who didn't trust the police when when his paraparaman was stolen. Hmm. Is this paranoia or a flip-flop? Thanks, David. So this is the problem, right? I completely I understand the despair and how frustrated people are. Who do you trust? How do you know who to believe? Do you believe business leadership South Africa? Uh, Andre Dureta was a whistleblower. Uh, do we believe him? Do we believe George Fivers? Do we believe the, the journalists? And I think that the, one of the fundamental problems here is that we, we do cast people in, in roles and it is often very binary. So either somebody is good or they are evil. And I don't think anybody is entirely good or entirely evil. I think that people can be both. And I know people are going to say, oh, Mandy's defending Andre Dereta or Mandy's defending News 24, uh, you know, whatever it may be. You might have a position on this. Your position is allowed to change. And some people are good and bad. You know, I think that Andre Dereta's intentions to expose corruption are good, but he may have gone to the wrong place here, as we now know from this News 24 report, that he may be relying on dodgy information, on this dirty dossier. But I don't think that impacts on his intention to fight corruption at the Parastatal. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. Let's stay on this issue of ESCOM. Uh, ESCOM appearing before the Select Committee on Public Enterprises on the tariff increase. NERSA granting ESCOM an 18.65% increase in electricity tariffs effective from the 1st of April this year. Uh, so remember, of course, NERSA agreeing to this increase. ESCOM had applied for a, a huge 32% uh, tariff increase. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, is on this story for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Tell us what was discussed today. Um, good afternoon, man. Yes, indeed. Um, the ESCOM management is the same ESCOM delegation that appeared before the Standing Committee on Appropriations yesterday 
to brief it on the debt relief was back today before the Senate committee, really giving them an explanation and clarity on why NERS have granted them this 18.65%, which has already kicked in from the 3rd of April for ESCOM customers. And for municipal customers, it will be from the 1st of July. So, um, Chairperson and Paul are going to say it's really a dilemma because you know, they are functioning on an ESCOM revenue model that's regulated and tariff-based, and they say they really, it's beyond, it's out of their powers, out of their hands, you know, what, and what NERSA does and what NERSA grants them. And they're saying that, you know, previously they have tried, you know, to review previous NERSA decisions and successfully, but this time, you know, they couldn't, um, you know, they couldn't try to review this decision and it had to stay because NERSA, you know, followed the correct methodology according to ESCOM. And they're saying this is really going to be beneficial for ESCOM because it's happening in, conduct- in conjunction with that debt relief and will be, it will put ESCOM in a better financial position. And, you know, for the first time in six years, ESCOM will release capital expenditure for generation, transmission, as well as distribution. So it's really a mandy or something that's quite tough for us customers. But for ESCOM, it's really a beneficial move according to the utility today. And members of parliament really questioning this decision, also saying that it, it might not be such a beneficial decision for poor consumers. Babalo, thank you. Babalo Ndenze, EWN reporter, giving us an update there. ESCOM appearing before the Select Committee on Public Enterprises on that NUSA-approved tariff increase. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. Hello, Mandy. Um, this thing of um, deranged hiding under um, a highly litigious environment, isn't it the protection uh, that whatever you say in Parliament, uh, you are protected from uh, litigation? Or that's a parliamentary, that's COPA, that which is parliamentary oversight committee. So isn't the same protection that members of Parliament enjoy at both joint sitting? And uh, isn't, that, isn't that applicable to the parties who, who are called before parliamentary committee? So is, is that defense even, uh, is, is it acceptable? Can somebody correct me here? I might miss something. Please hear in Bedford View. How's it, Mitch here from Joburg? Just hearing it sounds like people are now saying that Andre is a, is a liar and all of that. What is that based on? Jacques Poe. Now, Jacques Poe would be an easy person to bribe, just one person, and now suddenly everyone believes him. It's one person's word against another. And to me, based on everything we've seen, like the fact that there's load shedding and stuff, certainly the more reasonable thing is that there is corruption. So why? This to me seems like people are trying to cast aspersions on Andre. Look, I think it's a bit more complex than that and a bit more, more nuanced in terms of credibility and, and who you trust and, and what resources you go to before we, uh, we start, um, you know, naming people and, and uh, having the Broadcasting Complaints Commission, uh, all over me and discrediting people. Look, um, Prince, I think you raise a very important point here. As my understanding is, it's, it's scoper. So it's not, um, before the National Assembly or a joint sitting of parliament. But if there is somebody who is an expert on this, uh, Lindsay Dentlinger may be able to help here as well. Um, and my understanding is that it needs to be before um, the National Assembly uh, for you to be protected. Um, uh, maybe someone can correct us, but I think that is an important point, Prince. Thank you. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently.
Well, let's uh, change tack now because the funeral underway today of the anti-apartheid activist Tiecho Mosineke that's taking place. Uh, Mosineke died in a car accident last week. The deputy president, Paul Mashatile, has been in attendance. Uh, his widow has been speaking. His brother, the former deputy chief justice, Dikhang Mosineke, has also been speaking. We'll speak to our reporter there uh, in a minute. The deputy president, Paul Mashatile, have a listen here, has been speaking about his activist days with Mosineke and how they were imprisoned together for two years. So we spent uh, two years in prison and I really came to respect his political and also uh, business acumen. Diego lived a life worth celebrating. He came from a tenacious generation that stood against the apartheid system. It is a generation that even post-1994 never stopped to save. They are all as dear until the end activists to the core. That is the Deputy President of the country, Paul Mashatile, paying tribute to Tiecho Mosineke, uh, the, the Deputy President speaking there about his activist days with uh, Mosineke. Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter, has been at that funeral for us. Khomotso, good afternoon to you. Uh, also speaking today was uh, Mosineke's widow. What did she say? Well, Mandy, she's um, she's spoken quite a bit about their memory together. I mean, first she's you know shared with um, the attendants that you know she she chose not to sit uh, in the bedroom in their home as um, many would do in African culture, right? To sit in a closed space. So she says that in memory of her husband, she chose to sit in the open sitting room and dining room to share and to to welcome all the people that have come to their home to pay their last respects. So she's also spoken about um, you know, a, a, a project that she's spearheaded with her husband in Atridgeville, a township in Pretoria, where they've been building classrooms and they have been tutoring and supporting young people um, in their education. And um, you know, she's spoken about how during that, that time, I mean, just this year, in two months, they've built two classrooms. And she says that you know, sometimes she would see the budget that's allocated by government, Mandy, to build some classrooms. And she says the budget that's allocated for one classroom by government, her team uh, would be able to build three. And then she speaks about how, but of course, there's corruption and that needs to stop. And this sounds like, you know, it's been a very a recurring theme um, from the speeches today about how Diego really didn't, you know, it, it pained him and how he agonized about the stage of the, of the ANC as, you know, he was an activist himself in his own right. Uh, we've heard from various other people who were in the trenches with Tiago Mosineke, um, who've been speaking about their relationship with him uh, from, uh, as we heard, the deputy president as well. What is his legacy and how will he be remembered? You know, the word integrity just keeps popping up time and time again, together with the word laughter, you know, and that, you know, in every situation that he's been in, he's just remembered as a person who found the laughter, who found the light. We heard uh, the Deputy Chief Justice, Dekha who is Diego's older brother, that, you know, he, he, just, he embodied what their father represented, and that was holding their head up high and choosing integrity at all times. 
Um, a very interesting story came up also earlier from the white Mandy where she spoke about how they were stopped by a traffic officer who clearly expected a bribe from them. And when they refused to bribe, he took them to the police station and they insisted on seeing that case through. And you know, she says that they would travel for about three months from Johannesburg to the Western Cape to attend this, um, this case. I think they had about three court appearances. And she says they were unwavering in their demand hmm. to see that case through because they believe in justice. They believe in integrity. And Musaneke has echoed these views also, saying that his brother from time to time, you know, just would just speak about how the ANC needs to be restored to its glory days, needs to be restored to when integrity actually mattered to the mm. leaders. And so, you know, a lot of that has come from the speakers. Uh, but it was also interesting to hear the Deputy President Paul Mashatila speaking about how they would share laughter and jokes, even mm. in prison cells, as they were held uh, during the apartheid days. Khumotso, thank you. Khumotso Modise, EWN reporter at the funeral service of Tiago Mosoneke. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. Let's go to Tswane now, the city of Tswane Council sitting today. The city uh, was due to focus on the audited financial report for the city. Remember, it has not passed its budget for the 2023-2024 year. And all of that may mean that the municipality gets placed under administration and also affects service delivery. Tobiso Goba, EWN reporter in Tswane for us. Tobiso, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. What has actually happened there today? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, we are currently on a, I think, a three-hour um, caucus break. So that vote on the adjustment budget has not happened as yet. But I will say that, Mandy, there is some sort of disagreement uh, about the importance of the adjustment budget. Now, the MEC for Finance, Jacob Mamabolo, wrote to the mayor of, uh, of Twane saying that if this, um, if this adjustment budget is not passed today, there will be some intergovernmental uh, sanctions and intervention into the city. Now, what that means, whether that means administration or not, is up to um, to um, to I mean for anyone to to decipher. But however, the mayor did say that you know the failure of uh, of, of passing an adjustment budget is not enough justification to place the municipality under administration. Now, you remember that Mandy in twenty um, in twenty twenty. Um, the municipality in Tswane was placed under administration. However, that was sort of um, um, overturned by the Constitutional Court about eight months later. So we, uh, we, uh, I'm guessing that the municipality or even the provincial government is going to be very careful about the steps it takes if it does uh, eventually decide to place mm. the municipality under administration. To be so, thank you. To be so, Goba, EWN reporter in Tswane, where the city of Tswane Council has been sitting. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. The City of Cape Town Mayor Jordan Hill Lewis today giving an update on infrastructure developments in the City of Cape Town. A major construction, infrastructure investments for economic growth. That has very much been the cornerstone of the budget that was drafted and uh, tabled by the Cape Town Mayor. Let's uh, unpack this a little further with Ntutuzelo Nene, EWN reporter, who is in our Cape Town studio. Ntutuzelo, good afternoon to you. What has the Mayor been saying about infrastructure development in Cape Town? 
Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, as you have said, I just came from a City of Cape Town Council seating today, um, where uh, Mayor Jordan Hill Lewis did reveal that of the city's 11 billion rand budget for this financial year, um, 8 billion of that will be spent on building or upgrading critical infrastructure in the city. Um, he says that in many cases, this expenditure benefits lower income households exclusively, uh, which includes subsidized housing, new social housing projects, and inform- and the upgrades of informal settlements. Um, the mayor also said that you know some of this money will be channeled to fixing sewer pumps across the metro um, and also that um, they'll be deploying more law enforcement officers on the ground and um, installing more CCTV um, you know cameras to to curb the crime that's you know uh, um, currently on the rise in in the Cape and also the expansion of the my city route um, you know to 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 better the public transport uh, infrastructure in, in in the city of Cape Town as well as you know um, you know doing upgrades to city clinics uh, libraries and other sports facilities um, and also he says that more than this is more than what any other metro in the country is spending more than Etequini which is uh, will be spending 8.1 billion rent this financial year and um, larger than Joburg as well, which will be spending 6.9 billion rand this year. The mayor has also repeated his call for national government to give the city powers to run the passenger rail service. Let's hear what he had to say about that. The lack of a safe, reliable and affordable rail service is currently costing lower income households 932 million rand a year in Cape Town alone, in increased transport expenses and opportunity costs. According to its own data, Prasa now only transports 3% of the passengers it did, it did a decade ago, when rail should be the backbone of an affordable, reliable and safe public transport system. Thank you to Ntuduzelo Nene, EWN reporter, who was at that story giving, us, story giving us an update there on infrastructure developments in the city of Cape Town. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener is brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking on 702 and Cape Talk. NetBank is a licensed FSP and registered credit provider. So from Cape Town to Joburg now, an interesting article in MoneyWeb about how the city of Joburg is losing nearly half of the water that it provides on a daily basis. This is a so-called non-revenue water. It's a, it's a term municipalities use to measure the portion of water lost due to leaks or non-billing. And it's at 44.8%. And that's up from an already staggering 39% in 2020-2021. Professor Anthony Turton, water expert, joining us now to explain this. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. How is Joburg losing this volume of water? Anything about bankruptcy is it happens slowly in the beginning and then it suddenly becomes fast. And uh, that's what's happening now. So of the, the huge amount of water that is imported into the municipality by uh, uh, Janusburg Water from land water, Less than half of that is being billed and being recovered. Therefore, there is a growing gap in the budget for uh, uh, the city of Johannesburg. And ultimately, unless they get this thing under control very quickly, they are going bankrupt very, very fast.
Is this from, from burst and leaking water pipes? Is, is it from um, just stuff that they're not fixing? Is it from failing infrastructure? Uh, how does this happen? It's from uh, a quarter of a century of neglect. And part of that neglect is a breakdown of the infrastructure, so leaking pipes. Part of that is a culture of non-payment. And part of that is actually this whole notion of simply theft, you know, stealing water, bypassing mains, bypassing your, the meter, etc. So it's all about, it's called non-revenue water. And it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, the culmination of a, a number of things, including leakages, including uh, 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 accounts that are sent out and not paid or incorrectly billed, etc., etc. So ultimately, the bottom line is this. It's all about driving the city of Johannesburg into a situation of bankruptcy. And we know the bulk supplier, of course, is, is Rand Water. So the city is paying Rand Water for this water. It doesn't actually receive any revenue for it. As far as you're concerned, what is the city actually doing about this? Do they have a target of, of how they'd like to minimize this? Well, well, there are two parts to your question there. The first part of the question is that, uh, remember, Rand Water is the largest single bulk water supplier in the world. Uh, it uh, supplies water to many, many municipalities, many of which do, simply do not pay them. So Rand Water itself is being faced with a major cash flow crisis as a direct result of this from the different uh, customers that they have to service. So Rand Water is teetering on the brink as we speak right now. But then, of course, internally, you know, within the, the municipality itself, you've got your own set of problems. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a complex uh, uh, problem. While this problem is playing out in, in real time around us, the, uh, the leadership is squabbling about who's actually in control, who, who is the mayor, which coalition partners are actually in what, uh, in what positions uh, of authority. So basically, we're fiddling while Rome burns. Mm. But the bottom line is this is simply unsustainable. Prof, thank you very much. Professor Anthony Turton, water expert, explaining to us there why the city of Joburg is losing so much water. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.